Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And this week, Michael Felder's back, our good friend and colleague from Stadium. And we're going to break down the biggest storylines in college sports this week in an hour or less. And as a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast and this podcast feed, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. And as we always say, it's five stars, just like your favorite recruits. We want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, it is great to have you back. We are deep into the Chicago summer. We have hung out in person recently. Life is good. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Um, it's hot. Like I'm obviously, as you can see on the Zoom, the people can't see this, but I am full in headband season now. I have to stop the sweat. It is so hot. And <laughs> this is why I stay inside. I, I think that one of the um, good lessons that I learned from hanging out with you in the summer weather was the towel situation. Oh yeah, you bring, got- bringing a towel with you for social events. Oh yeah, I'm I'm total Southern lawyer, always with the towel or a handkerchief because the sweat's going to happen no matter what. You can't stop it. And this is a Chicago summer. This isn't even. This could be worse. Yeah, except. <laughs> At home, like at home, it is hotter. Like back in North Carolina, it does get hotter, it does get more humid. But I don't go outside like that. You're just okay, inside well, all the time, and then your your car has air conditioning. <laughs> this has been a tough transition now that things are open again for for you, I imagine. Oh yeah, I want to stay home forever. <laughs> <laughs> the only person coming out of the pandemic, like sad that they have to <laughs> go out and do stuff again. Oh, Felder. Oh, Felder. But um, we, we will talk some actual college football because there's actual news this week um, that I really want to get your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. And we can do this from your home. So very excited about this for you that we can have this conversation. Um, so, Felder, the big news in college football, Nick Saban not going anywhere. He's extended another three years through the 2028 season. He will be 77. He will turn 77 on Halloween during that season, he is let, – let's go through what the the salary – okay, the, the deal starts at $8.425 million a year before bonuses, and it only goes up from there. Now, uh, first, I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on him coaching, you know, into his late 70s. Does that surprise you? No, this is what he does. This is the thing that he's good at and the thing that he likes to do. So – he's he is a very narrowly focused like i don't know if you've heard of this but some they they talk about different um kind of personality types or the way people look at things and there are a lot of folks that are wide but shallow and then there are people that are narrow but deep and nick saban is pretty narrow but deep and 
Like you're not going to get him on your ki- your cooking show doing stuff. You're not going to get like he's not gonna, he doesn't have his passion is college football. His passion is winning, uh, more specifically, and he does all the things that are required of him and more to ensure that he's going to win. So I think that as a guy who's in good shape, good health, we haven't had you haven't we haven't heard at least of any health issues from him in, or major health issues from him. I think he also does not have the the Bob Stoops element where Stoops is, I believe Stoops' father passed away uh, or had a heart attack while coaching. And so Stoops is like, I'm definitely not, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the back end of my life. And Saban, I don't think has that. I think he has the, I am enjoying this and this is what we do and this is what our family does and this is what we are. You mean you don't think he's going to start a tequila company like Bob Stoops? I did not know that part of it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I highly recommend Jason Kersey's story about Bob Stoops tequila salesman. Oh, him, and, him and LeBron. Yes. Um, no, I, I think I'm with you. I, I think there are certain people who are just the best at what they do. And he is one of them, and he is feeling great. He has adapted to the times. We have talked about this a lot, Mm -hmm. that that is probably the most underrated feature is how he has changed. He has changed um, the way that they play, the way that he recruits, the way that he, he lets his assistants change schemes. And that has allowed him to succeed in in different eras of this sport. And he's going on. I think I think it's obviously terrifying for the SEC and college football at large. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're in this moment where we know that we're watching a dynasty. We know that we're watching the greatest coach in the sports history. And it's not really going to let up. I mean, it's, it, it, they're going to be good as long as he wants to coach, right? As long as he has the energy to recruit. So this is extending like this dynasty, this element of like it's Alabama inevitability is going to carry over into the late 2020s. Yeah. I, and here's the thing. I think that's a good thing because it makes other people get better. Like the last thing that I'd want to see is him decide to close up shop and then they bring in somebody that's not the right fit or not the right hire. Alabama somehow falls off the map and then everyone is like, Oh yeah, see now it's not just Alabama, but the reality is I just want last time I was on I said the same thing. I just want teams to be to get good. And I think having the truly historical gold standard for success remain in place at the at that school and continue to touch the lives of a lot of these kids. I think that that goes under um appreciated and understated with with Saban because everybody thinks about it as a machine. But these guys really do respect and appreciate him and the opportunity. Not that they're given, not that they're given. I will not. I, one thing I try to do when I talk about college football, do not say opportunities that they are given. They take advantage of the opportunities that they have earned. And Saban makes them appreciate earning it. And he makes them earn it. You don't get to play just because you were a big name recruit. You don't get to. You know, you don't get to move to the front of the line just because, you know, I mean, Najee Harris was one of the top recruits in the country when he came out and he still had, he still was their number three running back. Like he makes you earn it. And I think that goes a long way for these guys that have futures at the next level, be it in the NFL or in their professional lives. And 
I think that's something that Saban does really well. But I think to circle back to my original point, I think him remaining installed at Alabama, it's going to force Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, you got to find a way. You got the big deal. You got the money. You got to find a way. Ed Orgeron, you have to find a way. Lane Kiffin, can you find a way? Kirby Smart, can you find a way? And then outside of that, it speaks to whether it's Ryan Day or it's, um, uh, you know, we'll see how long Harbaugh remains at Michigan. But, like, you, these other schools have to find a way. Clay Helton, find a way. Mario Cristobal, you need to find a way. And I think that by them not have – I think by Alabama remaining good, which is what we all expect to happen, right? We expect them to still be good, still be very, very good. It, I like the pressure being applied to the other teams. I think that's how you make things better. Well, right. This is, this is exactly how you feel about the sport. Yeah. It's, you don't believe in extra access just because. You believe that people need to rise to the level of the best. And that's been the issue when we talk about a top-heavy sport is that Alabama and Clemson are in these – like dueling dynasties at the same time. You have Ohio State in the mix there. You know, Oklahoma from a recruiting and talent standpoint, even though they haven't won a game in the playoff. So so you have like a top tier, and we've seen LSU flash into it. We've seen Georgia right at the cusp. But everyone else, Michigan is a great example of this. Michigan, USC, Oregon, those are the types, Texas, these are the types of schools that that gap, Penn State, is noticeable. Because mm-hmm. in other eras of this sport, when you don't have that gap, Michigan beats Ohio State sometimes. USC makes the playoff. Oregon makes the playoff. But, but right now, those programs are not dropping off. And, you know, I, I think we're going to get into some of the scholarship crunch and sort of what's happening yeah. here with recruiting. In a lot of ways, that stuff is going to only make those top programs better and it's not going to dip off it's not going to drop and everyone is just going to have to get better here's a fun question though i was thinking about this and i saw this press release go 2028 again and nick saban can coach as long as he wants if he wants to coach into his 80s he can but let let, let's stick with this so he's going to be 77 during that season Mm -hmm. does Dabo swinney retire before Nick Saban. Oh, I saw a tweet about that too. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I could see it. I could, I absolutely could see it again. He, especially because his kids should be done um, playing football, obviously his kids and they'll, they'll be, they'll be moving into uh, what my, my brother and I kind of laugh about it with my folks, but they're moving into uh, grandpa, like grandparent season. And, Dabo does strike me as a guy that wants to enjoy that grandpa season. So that absolutely could be the case. Um, I think is I would not, you know, um, strike, I would not strike that out as a, per, as a possibility. Uh, and who knows whose hands he leaves that program in at Clemson. I think Clemson is going to be an interesting one. Honestly, it was getting, getting, I'm getting started for the season now. And Clemson is, going to be very interesting in 2021 (laughs) like I don't think I think everyone is kind of automatic with the automatic write-in of like we saw some DJ Uyunglele he's going to be a star he's super he's a superhuman and then I just looking through their depth chart and I'm like man 
I don't know this guy. Not sure if this guy's going to be the guy. Then you see the transfers of Pinckney and uh, Mike Jones and those other guys. And it's like, okay, so they're losing. They are losing some pieces. So Clemson's going to be very interesting. And we'll see if they're able to continue to stay at that, maintain that same level. Uh, meanwhile, Alabama, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the transfer portal and talk about some of this super senior stuff in a little bit here. But, yeah, Dabo, he does strike me as someone. And I think about it, and I, I – Listen, I, I'm not saying my parents are like Dabo, but I do think that there's this family first that comes with Clemson, which is why they give their assistants a summertime. They give their assistants time off in the summer when most people do not. And they kind of try to do everything together. It's, I think once those grandkids hit, just like my parents were like, okay, I guess I'm going to retire now and I'm going to kick it with my kids. And if he, listen, he might be that type of a guy. It'll be interesting to see. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It also is something that is worth noting just because Bob Stoops and then Chris Peterson both stepped away mm-hmm. significantly earlier, I think, than the sport expected them to. And I am curious about that generation of coaches as well, about burnout, about the the 24-7 nature of recruiting, all the reasons that Chris Peterson and Stoops gave for wanting to step away and and Bob Stoops got involved with the XFL which mm-hmm. was just show up and coach right like a very different like I yeah. love football still but a very different world so I am curious if there is that burnout or a different approach to longevity for some of the coaches that aren't in Nick Saban's generation one thing that I think is really interesting is the timing of this extension comes a week after, less than a week after, Coach K announces his retirement. He's going to have one more season at Duke. This is a couple months after Roy Williams retires. We're in this, like, changing of the guard moment with some of these, like, icons in college sports. And I'm curious if you make anything of Saban, like, recommitting to stay or what it means to to commit to stay in this era where – you know, we just hear so much about how coaches are stressed about the transfer portal and the new transfer rule and NIL and all these just kind of foundational changes to the way college sports operates. It has been there. There has been this period of turnover. I mean, and and again, these are coaches that for for Roy and Kay, they're past retirement age. People have been wondering if they wanted to get out for for years now. But you have a coach who's a, who is the face of his sport, who is an icon, just like they were, and he's recommitting to stay. Like, do we make anything of that? Like, what does it mean that this is a moment, an inflection point for certain other coaches of that type of stature, the Hall of Fame level coaches? And Nick Saban's just not ready to call it quits. Yeah, I think there's so I think there's a couple things here, and I'll try to unpack it very quickly. Uh, one with Roy and Kay. Um, like for me, like I grew up in North Carolina. And so um, Kay was like the only coach that I knew that they had. And uh, obviously from Dean Smith to Guthridge to Doherty to Roy Williams is something that is someone that went to UNC, you're, you're pretty well, well versed in. 
and so I think for Roy, the frustration just kind of mounted in terms of, I don't, I don't know if pressure is the right thing, but for him, it just seemed like he's like, you know what? I, I'm not, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And then obviously being frustrated with the way that this season ended and whatnot. But for Kay, I think it's just, it's was, he's done it for so long. He's ready to be done. And with Saban on the other side of that coin, he's not ready to be done. And I think there is something about Nick Saban where he says challenge accepted. And I think part of that is this feeling of responsibility to show people that it can be done. And by what I mean can be done, I'm talking about handling the transfer portal, managing the transfer portal, managing your roster, and also as it as it comes on board, managing NIL. And I think he feels a part. I don't. I don't know if it's a personal responsibility, but I think there's certainly something there where he feels like I'm going to show people that you can do it, and I'm going to lay down a blueprint for how you can do it. Because I think about it in terms of recruiting, as recruiting has changed in the last 15 years, he's also sent people out into the world who were on staff with him that also figured out how to manage recruiting in, in their roster, and so you see his hands all over his handprints all over the sport not merely from the wins and losses or the championships or Heisman trophies, but also from Mario Cristobal, like his influence on other programs that are not his because he's showing people a way, a way to get the job done. And I think that's really, I don't think it's a, I think in, in, nor, in a normal conversation, you'd be like, that's a heavy cross to bear. But I think for Nick Saban, it's a thing that he embraces and wants to continue to do. He, I, listen, I, I mentioned it about the players, but I also think he likes growing these young coaches or the rehabbing these coaches. I think he likes having that as a part of his career and a part of his, again, casting this massive shadow over the entirety of the sport, not just from wins and losses, but from, and, and not just from defense, which is what it was before a pre pre that's the last season with Jalen and the, the first year with, with, with Tua, it was defense was his calling card. And then he shifted that. And now it's about embracing change and embracing the ability to adapt and showing that it doesn't matter. Don't, you don't get to say I'm old, so I can't do it. He's sitting there. Stay, he's putting it in your face of saying the old way doesn't work. Let's do it this way. Oh God. I almost, I almost went into a, a stars born there. Right. Maybe it's time we let the old ways die. So, yes. Um, great. Now I'm going to have to listen to the soundtrack today. Thank <laughs> you for that. It is a lovely soundtrack. Yes. No, I actually really like this concept of kind of like a responsibility to the game. Um, and it's it's a responsibility to these other coaches. It's like about doing things that not everyone does. And I think about that as a – been talking to players who've been recruited by Nick Saban mm-hmm. over the years and the way that he stays in your life and like – the way that they go to him, um, you know, for advice or when he, you know, calls them about a job or when they were in the pros and he was in the pros and he was trying to get some of his guys back. And I, I, I completely buy into this idea of like this NIL world genuinely wanting to help set your guys up for success in it. Yeah. And being hands-on in that. We have seen Nick Saban do vaccine PS, uh PSAs, right? Like we have seen mm-hmm. him encourage people to wear masks. We have seen this like this element of responsibility to 
his community and to his players. And I, I think that when we saw him, the way he reacted to this past season, an all-star, you know, an all-star offense, like, you know, just we, we're still going to end up having conversations about where that, that offense ranks in history. And the way that he celebrated it and the way he talked about what it meant because of how hard it was to get there, like there is – there are a lot of things that are pulling at him to keep going here. And I, I, I think there there is a responsibility to the game. There is this element of, you know, helping coaches, you know, rehab their careers, give them second chances and, and help set them up for success. And, it's, and the same with the players. And so I, I think it's really interesting that he is like kind of not doubling down, but, but recommitting and re-upping during this time where we've seen athletic directors retire. We have seen some of these icons on the basketball side retire and he's like, no, like, let's go. I want to be a part of this new era. And I, I, I think it's I think it's remarkable. I think it's interesting. Um, but I do want to get your thoughts. Uh, you know, we've kind of been alluding to this about about super seniors um, and, and just this. The fact that recruiting is open, there are camps, there are visits happening. There is a crunch. There is a numbers crunch. And Max Olson and I will have a story on The Athletic on Wednesday about this exact issue. But basically, and and I'll let you set this up, but basically the math doesn't add up right now. So what is happening? Basically what we're looking at are school signed classes this season. Uh, They signed classes, and I was talking to Bud Elliott about it. They signed classes with kids that had never even met the staff in person or been on campus. All virtual because schools didn't want to take the risk, but kids wanted to get signed by that December signing day, which is a crazy thing in and of itself. Um, but then what we're seeing now are the numbers don't matter for 2021 to going into 2022. The numbers don't matter, but it's in 2022, 2023, 2024, the numbers will start to matter. Again. And by numbers, I mean the 85 scholarship numbers. And so you can have 95 kids on scholarship right now without penalty. But you can't do that in the subsequent years. And that means there's going to be a bump. There's going to be a crunch. And it's it's either going to go to the point where you have to tell kids they can't come, which meaning you can't sign a lot of kids, or you're going to have to punt kids off, or you might be on the backside of that. Because I think about it like a rubber band. There's going to be real tension in that rubber band. But if you're one of the schools that has it snapped back, you're going to be under your number. You're going to be sitting at 75 kids. If you have kids leave through the transfer portal, you, and then you also don't sign kids because you expected those guys to stay. So now you're going to be under and not, you're not going to be able to field. A, uh, uh, you're not going to have a real practice. And so it is a, it's not a one-year problem. This is a multi-year problem. And it's going to be that for, again, multi-years. But it's going to be interesting to see how teams navigate it. And then the other part, and this was an interesting thing that I saw, and I hadn't thought about it until I was reading. Now I can't remember who wrote the article. I cannot remember now. And I hate that. I can't give them credit because I don't remember who wrote it. But it was somebody wrote an article about schools um, looking at FCS rosters and aiming to cherry pick kids. And that's a thing they didn't get to do before because they had football games. Like they're actually coaches now that are watching that were watching the FCS playoffs and being like, okay, this kid's good. He could fit here. Uh, we should, we should, you know, he's 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 a quality player. Let's 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 go to approach him. 
which is a whole other element of this that one FCS coaches hate and two FBS coaches are taking advantage of. And three, it's going to lead to other people getting pushed into the transfer portal or a recruit going unsigned or having to go somewhere else. There's, it's, there's a humongous domino effect here and the NCAA providing one year of quote unquote relief, I don't think is going to be enough to fix what's going to be a pretty big problem. So Max and I dive into this issue as well, because if you think about it, so basically that that extra year of eligibility given to everyone. So that went to all fall athletes, ended up going to all winter athletes, and then spring freshmen. So it ended up being like every single player who played in the 2020 to 2021 academic year got an extra year. And basically people did that to get the season in. I mean, if you think about where we were this time last year, there was so much uncertainty. People were starting to opt out. And you needed to do something like this to say, hey, we're not really sure what the season's going to look like, but it's not going to be what you signed up for, so it's not going to count to incentivize people to play. And we know how much money was at stake. We know why they wanted to get the season in. Mm -hmm. So that one decision to say, we're going to do this and deal with the fallout later is creating all these ripple effects. And I I think you could continue to extend the roster relief and say you can be above 85 for four years or however many classes would be affected by this. But the argument against that from Shane Lyons, chair of football oversight is, Yes, it's going to suck at some point, Like, but you have to pull the Band-Aid off because you have to get yeah. back on track at some point. What is interesting to me about all of this and the math that doesn't add up, you, you mentioned this, that you could get under 85 if, you're, if you kind of project wrong, like yes. if some of the guys make decisions that you're saving a scholarship for. Let's say you only sign 10 high school players because yeah. you're expecting guys to come back. In normal years... In an 85, 85 scholarship limit for the roster, with the transfer portal, with not knowing if guys are going to leave because they can play right away now, so it's, e- it's easier than ever mm-hmm. to transfer, you're still going to have coaches who are going to have to try to figure out how they're going to use their 25 yep. signees. Mm-hmm. So every player that transfers counts against that. Every high school player counts against that. You're going to have a situation here where Max crunched the numbers. There was an average of 12 scholarship players in the Power Five from each roster that went into the portal. Mm-hmm. So let's say that, that that trend continues, something like that, 12. And then you sign 25, but you're losing 12 every year. You're going to go under 85. Yeah. And coaches are really, really worried about this. And this is more of an issue, again, for like next year. And the year after, and the year after that, if this rule doesn't change about you can only sign 25 new scholarship players per year. But it's going to be a real problem if you are going to have programs that are under 85. Like, think about Kansas. Think about mm-hmm. LSU last year. There were times because of opt-outs and the draft and all of these other factors, transfers, they were under 50 at some, certain points in the Ooh. year. But they started the season, I think, at like 70 or 71. And that's, that's how you get down with attrition, with injuries, with opt-outs. This is this could potentially be a problem, and I think that coaches are realizing this and they're trying to raise the alarm bells. 
But they're going to need actual rules to change to fix it. And and they're going to have to force this issue because they can't fix this by themselves. And it's very possible in the way that's set up and the way people are using the transfer portal that a couple years from now, there will be a fair amount of programs under 85, which, by the way, takes away opportunities for high school players because yeah. they're the ones not getting signed here. Yeah, it's going to take like that's the that's one of the kind of drawbacks of the transfer portal in general is you're going to see you. you we can fill our needs in the transfer portal so we don't have to worry about that in recruiting. And it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But also it is, it, it's, you're right. It, if you can only sign 10 kids, that's 15 kids that have to go somewhere else. And those 15 kids are going to take spots from the 15 other kids that were likely going to end up at that school and so on and so forth as it trickles down. So we'll see how it works. I am. I, I think you're right about coaches having to raise awareness and talk about it as a legitimate issue because I don't think it's a thing most fans think about. I think it's a thing, the NCAA, because what I've found in looking at how the NCAA legislates, th- legislates, legislates things is they aim for the bottom. And by that, I mean they're looking f- to help the small, like the littlest person possible. And not always, and helps maybe not the right word, but police. And it's one of those things where what I mean when I say that is like the 85 scholarship limit um, that's designed to stop schools from signing way, way more kids and help create some sense of fairness in the rosters, even though it, you know, it doesn't really, but with this, I think that the part of the reason why they're holding it as just a one-year fix is this fear of someone take of schools taking advantage of it in the way that led to the original rule being created about the 85 scholarships. Cause I'm not sure if people know this you used to be able to size as many kids as you want. They used to have humongous freshman classes. Guys weren't really transferring. So as long as you could afford the scholarships and you had the, the space, go ahead and sign 50 kids and keep them from going to your, keep them from going to your rival. The SEC was always um, was was part of the reason that the the twenty five man initial counters cap Bingo. happened, right? You were over signing guys. So here's so the reason again to your point, you, the the reason that limit exists is because if Alabama can just sign forty guys and they don't go to other places, then that doesn't you know we're talking about a sport that's top heavy, right? And everyone's trying to fix this, and and if you even if even if you get some flexibility about this because of the portal. Do we not think Alabama is just going to get better? Like yeah. do that that's what you're looking at in terms of fairness and and this idea of a somewhat equal playing field. It's all of these changes that coaches again are asking for because you know it, it's going to be hard to manage. They're going to benefit the best programs yeah. and make them even better. I mean, they just got Henry Toto, who's one of the best linebackers right. in the SEC. Like, okay, let's play some football now. Dillard Moses didn't pan out, but he, he's already proven at Tennessee. Let's get him in here. And he's immediately eligible. This is this is what's going to happen. I mean, you know, Vanini made this point on this pod, I think it was last week, about how, you know, we're, we talk about how Alabama, you know, recruits these four- and five-star guys, and and they don't drop off. But the, this era of, of more free agency is also going to be part of that. I mean, they're going to – be able to just plug in anywhere there's remotely a weakness. And guys are going to want to go there. I, I think, too, um, you know, you, you mentioned the FCS thing. 
you, you know, people are very concerned about that at the group of five level. This has been a thing. This has been this has been an issue. You know, even dating back to grad transfers, people track it, right? Like you have guys on some of these staffs that are like transfer portal guys. They're tracking who they can pluck. And I think it's really hard to be a group of five coach. It's really hard to be an FCS coach right now because you want your guys to be good. You want to find these guys that are like hidden gems, but you don't want them to be too good or too <laughs> noticeably good. Yeah. I mean, I think about um, I think about it, obviously – a lot of folks point to Russell Wilson when they talk about grad transfers, but there was a whole other thing. And my guys, Joe Ovius in um, Raleigh, they did a nice podcast series about what actually went on with Russell Wilson going to, to Wisconsin. I think I looked at the, um, this is the name, Vernon Adams, who transferred from Eastern Washington to Oregon. I think that's a more recent specific example that speaks to, oh, this, oh, you're good and we don't have a guy let's get you in here so we can, we can make it work. And yeah, you're right. They have guys on staff for this. They have guys on staff for uh, if you're, if you're, well, here's the other part. And you mentioned that this is going to benefit the big programs, right? The people with the money, you got to have the money to have a guy on staff that runs the transfer portal nonstop. You got to have the money to have a guy on staff that runs FCS and G five nonstop. You got to have the money to pay a team of people that all they do is look for possible plug and play transfers. You got to have the money to do that. Some schools do, some schools don't. And that again speaks to benefiting, even though the legislation is sort of built to protect the smaller guy, the reality is it's the bigger guy that's able to take advantage of the, the they're not loopholes, it's just to take advantage of the system. Yeah, and this is part of the reason, like, you know, Jeff Brom was one of the coaches that I talked to for this story with Max, and he said – you know, he's fine with the way things are because there are going to be people who find loopholes if you change stuff. You you do open a can of worms. You do find these unintended consequences that will make the best better. Or there's a lot of coaches who don't like what we're discussing, right? Like this idea of plucking guys from FCS right. and, 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 and is that good for the sport, right? Like you think about the, again, we we're talking about this like idea of the responsibility for the sport, the health of the sport. They don't like that. So it's like you don't want to incentivize it. You don't want to incentivize running guys off your roster, as you were alluding to earlier, to make space to sign guys. Like all of this stuff is not great. It is also absolutely the reality of how this stuff works. And it's sort of like balancing that of, okay, you know, making sure that there's opportunities for these players because we're in this era of like athlete empowerment and we want to make it easier for the freedom of movement, but then also guarding against like just totally raiding FCS group of five rosters to, you know, go to Alabama, go to Ohio State. And it, it, like it, it's a tough balance. It's a tough time because you're kind of projecting and seeing how these things are going to work. But we also see how they've been used. And again, it's not loopholes. It's just like taking advantage of the system the way that it's built in ways that, you know, are really going to hurt some of the lower levels. But at the same time, you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, this FCS quarterback had this opportunity to go to like a major power five program. You don't want to take that opportunity away. But is that great? Is that a great trend to start? Probably not. Well, I think we're we're in a transition phase. And it's going to be kind of the wild, wild west for a little while. But the reality is I think coaches still want to develop their own players. I think coaches still want to 
you know, have a guy for more than a year. I think they want to coach. I think at the end of the day, it's about what you got into the field for. And if you got into the field, most of these guys didn't get into the field to do roster management. They got into the field to coach. And the best thing, it doesn't, it's great. Winning is important. Winning is how you keep a job and are able to make money. But the best thing that, the best thing that, um, the best, the, the, the coach is still, they want to coach. And so developing your own is still better than having somebody else. I mean, we, we, that's the, we've had this knock on Harbaugh for several seasons now, right? Where he's just trying to get a transfer after transfer after transfer to try to make the quarterback situation work instead of developing. And so I, I think it'll balance itself out. It's going to take a little bit of time. And we're, we're at the genesis of a major inflection point in the sport. But again, to circle all the way back around to the original topic that we discussed, I think people like Nick Saban are the shepherds of this game. And yes, he's scooped up some tra- some guys on the transfer portal. Obviously, Henry Toto is the guy that we referenced. But uh, Landon Dickerson is another one. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he wants that roster to be guys that he vetted through high school and who he develops from freshmen to freshman, sophomore to juniors that can go to the next level or to seniors that, that play for him. So I think that's going to be the case. And it just, ha- it's just going to take some time to even out. I think at the end of the day, again, that's why I've, that's why I really appreciate Nick Saban is he's, he wants to do the work. And I think that that's going to set a tone for, you know, how people interact, how business gets done across the country. On that note, we will move over into our favorite segment, The Last Calls. Um, for those who are new to the pod, it is where we cheers something or we rant about something. It's something you would do at a bar in two in the morning. Um, and Felder, it's been a couple weeks since you've been on the show, so I will give you the honor of the first Last Call. Um, Yeah, for me, Last Call, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with I'm very mad at myself. <laughs> um. I accidentally shaved a mole off and it won't stop bleeding. So, Oh my God. Yeah. I'm pretty mad at myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's like, like I'm, I'm it's, it doesn't hurt. It's, it doesn't hurt. It's not infected. It just is annoying. And I'm like, I'm mad at me. I'm mad. Like the rant is like, I'm ranting against myself, my own left hand. You did this. How could you do this to me? I am mad at you. You've been my go-to forever. And I just don't understand how you could let me down like this, especially in, in, in the summertime where it's so hot and I got to put a bandage on and I'm sweating and it's horrible. I'm mad at you left hand. I am. I'm, I'm, that's it. The rant's against myself. This is a first for the last call segment, <laughs> ranting against oneself. Um, I am not mad at myself, um, so I don't. I, that that's not going to be my last call. Um, so, so we we were talking about how we were a couple weeks ago. How we were going to like actually enjoy summer and all these activities, and like you know, we were going to take that May break away from other sports and like yeah. have lives and do all of these things. So my last call is going to be actually, you know, what? 
Your last call is about how, like hating your left hand and hating yourself. Mine's about like being happy about myself. I actually did the things that I said I was going <laughs> to do. And I'm going to say one of my, if, if anyone is listening and has advice about this, please shoot me your way. But I've really enjoyed biking, yeah, bike rides. I see. And yeah. And, and, and this is, I'm going to, this is why it's my last call because it is a delightful experience. It is, you're getting a little exercise, like you come home, you look at your Apple Watch, you're like, oh, wow, because I went like 15 miles. It's, you know, it was quite a workout, but it's enjoyable catching up on podcasts, beautiful. You get to go outside, you're sweating, but in like in a, in a, in a space that you're expecting to sweat, like you could prepare yourself if you were to do (laughs) something like this. Um, And you're around people, but you're not like around people like Mm -hmm. you see them people are having a good time you see some picnics you see some people going for walks but you don't have to directly engage with them so you feel like you're getting some human interaction and some like you know you're recharging your batteries but not in an annoying way except when i will say people walk on the bike path and like there is a walking path right next to the bike lane and I did almost hit somebody who decided to walk into the bike lane and then stop walking. Like you cannot, you cannot do this. This is the summer tourist problem. But my overall point is, if anyone is considering looking for a summer hobby, get a bike. Get a bike. It has been, it has been very enjoyable. And my body likes it. Your body hates you. But oh, you can fix this. One more. Yes. Yes. I, I have a cheers. Okay. The WNBA. You mentioned when you oh, mentioned okay. when you mentioned a break from sports, I'm back in watching sports. I'm watching the WNBA every night. Okay. Watching Who's the, your team. Haven't decided on a team yet. Haven't decided on a team yet, but I'm watching. And literally for $18, you can get the WNBA League Pass. And I did it. Pulled the trigger on it. So that is something that I'm super happy about. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that you found something that brings you joy. Glad you're back in sports. I am still, I'm waiting until we get a little further into the NBA playoffs to, to dive in. We're almost around the point in hockey where I'm going to start paying attention. Again. There we go. But, but we're, we're, we're getting there back on the sports world. I'm just trying to be like, trying to find new hobbies still. And the biking. Biking is a good one. Cheers to biking. Cheers yeah. to the WNBA. And Felder, be careful. Yes. Don't cut off moles. Bad idea. Bad idea. And that'll do it for this episode of Power Hour. Thank you for listening. And if you're not already an athletic subscriber, be sure to sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for 40% off. Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman will be back on this feed the rest of the week. Um, For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach. We will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. And thanks again for listening. Mm -hmm.